Welcome to the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. Do you think losing weight is about exercise or diet or both, or maybe none of the above? Well, I'm sitting with someone who's going to answer that question in a way that you probably never imagined. Welcome to the Movement Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about how to have a happy, healthy, strong body. We cut through the mythology, the propaganda, sometimes the outright lies about what it takes to run, jump, hike, do CrossFit, yoga, whatever it is that you like to do, enjoyably, healthily, and betterly. That's my word of the day. For those of you who've been part of the podcast, you might not recognize where we are. That's because I am at the home of my friend, David Clark. We have a poster of what you can see of his legs. And what's going on? Oh, no, that's just like a tag that you're on. It looked like you had some sort of weird... That's the middle of the Leadville 100, man. That's the oh, top sweet. of the iconic Hope Pass. Oh, sweet. Here, wait. I'll lift this up so you can see. There he is. Ah, okay. beautiful right, book plug. Go. I love it. Cool. On Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start pitching already. My God, we'll get to the pitching part well, of Well, I'm second. relieved, I got to tell you, because I thought you said this was going to be about the bowel movement. So No, no, no. That's a, that's a whole different movement movement. So before we jump in, just a reminder, if you're into what we're doing, obviously come to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. That's where you'll get pointers to everywhere you can find us and follow us and like and share and friend and request and, or you know, review and blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. I'm not going to bore you with that because you get it. So I'm here with David Clark. David and I, just FYI, we're in his house because we just recorded an episode of his podcast, which is called... The We Are Superman podcast. That they can find where... Stitcher, or SoundCloud, iTunes, anywhere you list podcasts, or my website, wearesuperman.com. Perfect. And... David has an incredible story, which is what we're going to tell in just a sec. But first, we're going to do a movement. Now, one of the things that David is known for is fighting. Just, you know, randomly just picks strangers and just beats them up. Why do you do that, man? It started on Black Friday. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I was at Walmart and I wanted that television. Cabbage patch doll. So, as we... Did I oh date my myself? God. Well, no, I just heard I, I, I heard uh, um, comedian Dom Herrera doing a thing about Cabbage Patch dolls that I can't repeat, but if you look up Dom Herrera, I mean, that is the Cabbage Patch, but that's not what Dom does when but it comes to the Cabbage Patch. Uh, it's a good idea. So we like to start with a movement, and I asked David if he had a movement he wanted to share, and what is the movement that you wanted to share? I said punching. Now, let's talk about punching from a perspective that isn't about the thing that most people think of, which is violence, etc., because I know that's not the way you think of it. So talk about how you think of it and what people, let's have people do a thing that you want to share with them. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously punching can have all kinds of different intentions. It can be just from keeping somebody away or inflicting damage or just competition, which is what I do it. But there is a science behind it, obviously. It's not as simple as as just throwing your fist in someone else's direction. In fact, that's usually the best way to get punched in the face yourself. <laughs> it's just to start. <laughs> well, I think I think someone said, uh, you know, you know, it's a bar fight if someone starts with a, a overhand right. Yeah. 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 And those guys, they're not going to hurt each other. No, I mean, no. They, they, they it'll it'll end connect. up on the ground. It'll get messy and very homoerotic. Yeah. So, uh, so why don't you do the world's fastest, you know, punching something. And punching is actually, I think it's very interesting because it really does activate pretty much every muscle you can think of from your navel up in ways that actually, are not... Actually, from your feet. 
Well, if you're actually if you're actually like uh, fighting, fighting starts at the feet and goes through your hips, and absolutely that's the end result. But it is a really powerful thing just to be doing in general, which I find really interesting. So why don't you do the world's fastest little punching something that people can do, even if they're maybe in their car, which yeah. is where a lot of these things happen. Yeah, I think the the thing that you'd want to just connect without getting to a whole mechanics of a punch, which usually starts, like I said, from the feet up, is to just make sure that your body's connected to your punching. So when you start with your hands up, protecting your jaw, you're going to rotate into it, and then as this one yeah. pulls back. The other one goes forward. So, and and actually, a little, nice little nuance pro tip: yeah. that your 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 fist starts out in a straight motion and actually rolls over at the point of contact. This is the the hardest part of your body right here is connected here to the elbow to the shoulder, full extension. So those punches just coming out. It's a very it's like, satisfying. <laughs> It's a it's a really satisfying thing if you get if you for people who aren't into the quote violence part of it it's just a really satisfying motion because it is one of those full body motions it all is of like, those things even the people that train at the, the gym where I train on yeah. ninety nine percent of them are never going to get into a cage. they're never even going to spar right much less actually fight but there is something very satisfying about the movement it's a yeah. flowy movement it, it feels good we, we, have, we you have, listen to hip hop or heavy metal well wait we have a punching bag in our office that we got because I asked uh, people you know what they wanted what's to, his name no no we have an actual <laughs> punching bag and one of our our employees though did say if i know we were gonna have a punching bag you could have got me to work here for free so he just loves to you know there's just something satisfying about that motion and and making contact and it's not again it's not even the violent thing there's something about just contact that well, i think resonates with us i think that flows through our whole message right is that it, it connects us to to something deep within our evolution like mm. even running does right you totally. might compete with running you might totally. be running away from a predator or to hunt right fighting's the same thing it's programmed we have to protect our families we have to fend off our tribe so even if you're not actually fighting there's something connects you i've never been in a fight i have gotten punched in the face once so you that's were in a fight. just you didn't do well <laughs> no i didn't i did i actually i did really well i, I kind of saw it happening it was a really weird situation i'll tell the story at another point but i i just had this weird feeling like if i just let this guy do his thing it would all be over very quickly and so and as he he punches me in the face and as i'm going down all i could think was that was louder than i thought it was gonna be and then i and then i got up and it was all over I and mean, it just felt like this weird like karmic something it just had to get itself resolved and we'd all be fine but uh, oh there was something you just said that reminded me oh man i had a funny thing that popped into my head and then it fell out maybe it'll come back anyway let's chat about why we're here so why we're here is that david has one of the more amazing stories that i've ever heard i'm not going to try and uh, tell it because i couldn't do it justice it's one of these stories that if you see david now you frankly probably won't believe it so let's start with how would they see the before picture and then tell them what the going through and after story is. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a long journey. It, yeah. I mean, I started, in many ways, my real life, current iteration of life started August 5th, 2005. I woke up 320 pounds. You 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 probably you probably went to pounds. you probably went to bed three hundred twenty pounds. I have no as well. idea. You went to bed. It's not like you suddenly. I you, had about twenty five pounds of food in me. But it's not. So. <laughs> but it's not like you weighed one hundred and fifty. Then you woke up three twenty. It's not like a Freaky Friday. Movie. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, you know, that would be no, very I, Freaky I, Friday. I woke up like I did every morning. <laughs> That's what I was going for. <laughs> At uh, like I said, three hundred twenty pounds. How tall are you? I'm six feet tall. Yeah, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of David. Literally half half now one hundred sixty pounds, and. There's a host of other problems, too, that were contributing to that. You know, I was addicted to fast food and drugs and alcohol. And I had, I just bottomed out in every possible way, man. I lost everything I had. I, I had a, a very successful company at one time. I thought that was going to make me happy. It didn't. You know, I had wife and kids and love in my life. Thought that would make me happy. 
and it didn't. So I had all of these great things that um, that I was thankful for, but yet there was still something missing. And you know, I, I said in my in my book out there that I, I finally came to this conclusion that I wasn't a 320 pound alcoholic by accident. And all of these times, I was trying to find the right diet plan, you know, the right motivational book or workout plan or something to to get leverage on myself. But that moment was when I realized it was my thinking that hmm. needed to change. That I, I always joke that you only have to change one thing. You're, everything. Yeah. Everything. So what, when you say it was your thinking, what specifically, or can you identify some, if you had to kind of yeah. boil that down, what was it that was the thing that was leading to all of that? Yeah. I had to stop searching for happiness with my eyes open, Huh. you know, like, cause I kept thinking it was out here. It was, it was on the lot. I could drive it off. I could buy the house. I could open up another retail store. Something was going to make me happy. My bank account was growing and my happiness was shrinking. And I realized that that wasn't, um, that wasn't by mistake. This is, you know, it's funny. This it's not an uncommon story that people have what what seems like great outward success, and then suddenly it hits them. It's like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Why do you think you were struck with that realization, or why didn't you recognize it along the way? Because that that really is the problem. Like it's it's success. There's nothing wrong with success. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having nice houses and cars and all these things. But the problem was that I placed my value on that. I grew up right. in in some tough circumstances, hard times telling my family. I spent a lot of years homeless, living in the back of my father's truck, kind of disenfranchised, you know, disconnected from reality. And I always thought, you know, someday, you know, I was gonna I was gonna do this thing. And and I started. I went to I went to college. I had to get a GED. Go to college did well in college, selling mattresses part-time. I got it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start, I'm going to buy this company that's failing and I'm going to turn it around. And, but all of these Wish things are like, if I had, if I had a house, if I had a car, yeah. like those were going to make me feel complete. And that's the danger. Right. It's not having the house and the cars. It's making, it's thinking that that was going to be the solution. And it wasn't, I used to stay awake late at night and wonder towards the end, like, what is the secret of life that all these people seem to know? That I don't know. Because maybe it's not the secret of life, but it's definitely the secret to not drinking yourself to death. But see, that's the thing that's so funny is that is that if you ask any of those people right. who you thought had the secret of life, if they thought they did, they none would. of them would say they did. Yeah. And many of them would say the same thing. Like, it's not working for me. I thought it would, it would make me happy. I like to say that success is four times worse than failure because if you get there and you're not happy, you're not happy. If you expected to be happy, then your hopes were dashed. There's nowhere to go but down. And no one likes to hear a successful person whine. That's true. Thank yeah. you. Good night. Yes. No, and that's it, man. I, so I, I bottomed out. And, and that's the beauty of rock bottom is that, you know, I kind of I had a tremendous amount of ego driving me to, you know, sure. the, the old kind of ironic egomaniac with an inferiority complex, right? right? All of this is going to prove that I'm worth something when deep inside I know I'm not or I think well, I'm that's, not. Well, that's, I mean, that's, it, it's not even an ironic. I mean, that's the math. It's like when you think that's the problem, the only, the only real option is to try to prove the opposite right. unless you investigate and discover that there's no there there for it and the whole thing falls apart. But let's move into the movement side yeah, of things. Yeah, so you had this wake up call and then once that happened, then what happened? So I, I needed something to connect me to something deeper than all of this external stuff, right? I wondered who's the David Clark that's not a business owner. He's not a father even. He's not a son. He's, he's just a raw human being. And I figured that I might have a good chance at finding a little bit of that. 
if I did something with my body, physical, and something that had a, a, a big emotional attachment to it, something where the stakes were high, the emotional stakes were high. Right. And so for me, I, I have no idea why, but it just it popped in my mind to run a marathon. Which is such a common thing for someone who weighs 320 pounds to think. I didn't even know how far a marathon was. <laughs> I, I had no idea. In fact, it's funny. I, I thought when I'd researched it and found yeah. out it was 26.2 miles, yeah. I figured no one else knew this information. This is... This is surely lost to the ages. That's how they get you. So I got like little silicone bracelets made up that said 26.2. And I'm like, no one will know what this is. This will be my own little thing. Love it. Obviously, I was had some tenuous relationship with reality. Yeah. So, but I did. And this was like before the days of Biggest Loser and stuff where, you know, now you kind of see that a little bit. Like people, but I didn't know. I, I assumed I went to my first race was the Turkey Trot at CU on Thanksgiving Day. And I assumed... Everyone there was going to be a 145-pound elite athlete, and that certainly I was going to be the only one. I think I'd lost some weight. I was 270 or something at that time, but obviously I was wrong. There are a lot of people who are there for the turkey. Yes. I'm I'm totally sure. The turkey that I brought. Yeah. Now, here's my favorite story about that. Um, My friend Lorraine Muller, who was a world champion marathoner, she won the bronze in the Atlanta Marathon. She went to one of the turkey trot races because she needed the turkey. And because she was an Olympian, they put her at the front of the line. And right before the start, she looks to her left (laughs) and her right, and there's four other Olympians who all were there because they wanted the turkey. And it's Boulder. It's Boulder, (laughs) Yeah, it really is. So, all right. So, how'd that race go? The turkey trot? Yeah. It was one of the most amazing days of my life. Oh, really? I ran every step of it. It it hurt, which is kind of funny to me now, Um, having run 40 plus 100 milers. But I'd never put myself in a situation like that before where I was moving my body, physically using my body to create an experience that I felt was missing from my life. And I ran every step of it. It occurred to me that I probably would have been faster had I like done run walk. But to me, I wanted to run every step. It was 40 minutes or 38 minutes or something like that. Right. But... I felt like a runner. I felt like a runner. And then how did the running evolve from there? And so actually, I've got to ask this obvious question. What were you running in? I was running in Asics Gel Nimbus. Uh, yes. Big, thick, padded motion yep. control thing. Yep. So uh, I'm going to cut to the end of the story-ish and say that this is not where David ended. So what was the evolution? How did your running evolve and what happened to your body as you were doing this? And yeah. jump into that part if you would. So I had to obviously address the way I was eating too. So in that process, I started eating whole foods and eventually that led me to being a plant-based guy. But so as I was feeding myself well, I eventually got to the marathon and did that. It was the inaugural year of the Denver Marathon. I'd lost 140 pounds over that. 15 months, I think it was getting there. And I did that. And and it was that finish line was kind of a starting line of a whole new way of living. I eventually did an Ironman. And then I got hurt. Then I got hurt. I had two herniated discs in my back, which had probably been there for a while just from being overweight. And the running made it worse because I was running very poorly. How would you define poorly? Slamming my (laughs) heels into the earth. (laughs) You know, just being disconnected from right. the ground and not really knowing what I was floppy the clown out there. You know, I had w- no idea. Was your basic idea when you first started just like just get to the end and yeah. you weren't paying attention to how you were doing it? It was all about managing the the pain and the stress of running, right? It right. was like I never thought about running smoother, you know, you know? Right. I mean it was just like can I be fit enough to move my body? Right. It was very it was very like mechanical. You know, and the push yourself hard, which I was. Yeah, I was. I was working on the gym, and I do intervals on the treadmill, and you know, just trying to work my body to to burn calories and lose the weight I wanted to, to lose. But anyway, when I got hurt and I had to have spinal surgery eventually, that's when I was like, something clicked. The stakes were really changed for me. I was like, okay, I can, I can 
walk away from this. I could go back to my old life and, right. and all these things, or I could, I could, if I want to do this, I've got to treat it like it's something I need to get good at, you know, and I've played guitar and I did well in my business until I screwed it up with drugs and alcohol, but I did well, you know, whenever I applied myself to something, I did well at it. So I, I kind of became a student of it. Right. For lack of a better description. And like literally a student yes. or just an, like an internal figure no, it out on your own. What'd no, you do? I, I start, first thing I started doing is reading everything I'd find. I read chi running and I read, you know, every book I could find by Galloway and, 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 um, Hal Higdon and marathon training plans, running form, you know, the internet was around, I think, but pretty new, but you could search, you could find right. books. So I just bought books and just read. And, and that was part of the process for me too. Just, and so, uh, what did you get from the books or how much were you able to apply what you learned from the books? Yeah, I think chi running actually did give me a picture, right? You know, there were some descriptive terms in there. Eventually I, re- I found born to run too, which, which helped me tremendously. I, I think uh, when I was the first stages, if you will, of my, since through 2008, uh, when I was just recovering from my back surgery. Right. And then 2009, when I started to apply everything I've read and try to make it translate to moving my body, I was still using, you know, running shoes, quote unquote, you know, Nike, yeah, yeah. whatever. So Born to Run actually gave me the picture of actually like, what would it be like if there was no shoe? Wait, I gotta, what's the name of that book? I'm going to write that down. It's probably like <laughs> Doug McChristopher. Or, no. <laughs> it's actually, I'm going to put in a quick plug. For people who don't know the book, and there are people who don't, it's an amazing book by Chris McDougall. And even if you're not a runner, it's just an incredible story. It really is. It's a great adventure story. There's a great science story woven into it. My wife, Lena, who is not a runner, I you know, eventually talked her into reading it. And she, like everyone, just couldn't put it down. So if you haven't yet please do. You will not regret it. Yeah. And th- that book created that picture for me. Like what, yeah. is, what do you move like as, as a, as a human machine, you know, right. without anything. And that was, that was life changing. So I did start switching to, to running in very minimal footwear, but I had a sufficient amount of fear still built up. I mean, I didn't like buy the whole thing yet. Right. Not so uncommon. I had to like stick a little toe in. And so I started running once a week in minimal shoes. Right. And I spent a good year stretching that out. That's actually not a bad transition plan. Yeah. When people ask, you know, how do I make the transition? First, it's like how to get started. And then there's how do I, if I've already got a running program, what do I do? And I go, yeah, just inject a little something and then expand that slowly. Whether like start at the beginning of your run in something barefoot or like zero shoes and then uh, add a little more time or pick one day and then extend that. So there's a lot of ways of doing it. But whether that was intuitive or just figuring out that was the only way you could do it, that was a good way to do it. Yeah, I, I'd read enough to know that people get injured doing it. You know, people Could. go too soon. Right. They go from wherever they are, I'm yeah, running yeah. marathons, and all of a sudden I'm just going to buy a pair of Vibrams and, right. you know, just go run and keep on going. the concrete right. as nature intended me to run. But uh, No, wait, hold on. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this is one of those things people say, we weren't, we didn't evolve to run on concrete. It's like, have you ever go to the no, places where human beings evolve? In a Moab. Exactly. And shit, it's yeah. like some, a lot of that, that hard-packed dirt is practically concrete. But we my, my point was just being anything. that people were out there hurting themselves because they were trying to do too much too soon. Yeah, they were just trying to make the switch immediately from yeah from doing 10 miles a day in big thick padded shoes to 10 miles a day essentially barefoot and some people are able to do that because and that's the problem there are a few people who had perfect form they were really great and they were able to do that and they ruined it for the people who needed to learn a new pattern of running a new gait style which does take a little bit of time to do to do that so anyway and i was operating off of the the database that i just created right it took me a while to get to a marathon so it's going to take me a while to get to running barefoot or minimal you know the flip side i was on a panel discussion when the barefoot thing was just taking off and there was a bunch of physical 
physical therapists who are all saying, well, it could take you like three years to develop the ability. And, and I finally said, how many people in this room have run at least a mile barefoot on concrete or a road? And I raised my hand and no one else did. Right. I said, you guys, you're making up a story that based on no information whatsoever, you don't even have any, you haven't even been doing this thing long enough. The whole barefoot thing hasn't been around long enough for you to have had anybody come through your clinic for two years or three years. So it's just this idea that they had come up with. I've never met anyone who couldn't make a successful transition to at least, you know, being comfortable running barefoot or, or in something truly minimalist much, much quicker. And then it can take time. It takes time to develop, but it's not like, you know, you're not going to be able to do it for two years. Right. Because the magic's not in it. You, you have to learn to run right. differently. And, right. that, and I think a lot of people missed that somehow. They just right. felt they changed shoes and still kept running the same Well, anno- annoyingly, in the very early days of the minimalist movement, that was the way it was positioned by mm-hmm. companies like Vibram even, where people thought, well, let me say it differently. The big shoe companies have basically train people to think that it's all about the shoes. You get this new magic shoe and everything's going to be great. Even though that's what we said three years ago and it wasn't true then, no one has ever, no shoe company has ever said, remember when we told you that that shoe that we did three years ago was going to change your life? Sorry, we we pulled that totally out of our butts. This one though, this one's the real deal. Believe me this time. Yeah. So we're all kind of programmed for that. So it's not surprising that that's the way people took the whole minimalist thing. Sure. And I was actually told that the correct way to run was to hit on your heel Oh, really? And then roll, roll forward, forward and then push off. Right. I was told that by yeah. people in the running industry, the running yeah. shoe industry, whatever. But, yeah. But yeah, so I still had that in my brain. <laughs> the running industrial complex. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. But I've actually always been one of these people that's very willing to dispense with the common ideas of things, the general right. notion. But I, know, I don't want to do it from a place of ignorance. Right. I'm willing to let to let go, but I want to know what I'm letting go of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I felt it was somewhere in between. I didn't know what it was, but it was like, it's somewhere in between. So I'm just going to take it easy, be smart. It was amazing. Like, I mean, the, the, the way I felt, it didn't take me very long. I did spend that one year, but before I started transitioning onto the trails too. Mm-hmm. And the first time I put on a pair of minimal shoes and ran Sanitas... Which is a trail up a mountain right up in Boulder. Technical, sharp rocks. Yeah. Like I was kind of like, I don't know if I should do this, but I felt like an animal. Yeah. Like in a good way, like a primal. I mean, I was like, I never want to run anything else again. So I felt like I thought I was running before, but now I really started doing it. This is the thing. It's funny. I always joke that you can always spot a barefoot runner from a mile away because they're smiling. <laughs> and because uh, there's something just so satisfying about feeling things. And I, I took a, I went up Sunitas with a friend of mine, a woman named Jesse, who does everything barefoot. And we're running up Sunitas barefoot and people are looking at us like we're crazy. Yeah. But we're the ones having fun. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's one of the, it's actually funny because as my running evolved and eventually I went on to do Leadville and 40 different hundred milers. And- okay. So here's the point to brag. So talk, say yeah. more about that and things you've done. Yeah. So, I mean, I've done, like I said, I've done Leadville, I think eight times, hard rock, bad water, some of the toughest races on the planet. I wanted to challenge myself. Right. And, you know, I started moving from the back up to the front of the pack and managed to, to pull down some, some wins, not against Scott Jurek or Rob Carr, but some regional wins and some... Set a couple American records on treadmills of all things, oh, sweet. like twelve-hour treadmill runs, and I even ran forty-eight hours on a treadmill. But anyway, Wait, oh, this- I'm just going to pause there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm trying to think of something that I would enjoy less than run doing forty-eight miles on a treadmill. There's nothing. Yeah. There, there's nothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> but oh, but you man. would but nevertheless you you would enjoy it in some some way oh yeah but i would enjoy think of it stopping <laughs> i would enjoy oh, but man. this crazy thing happened though as i as i got faster wait hold on hold on wait i want to back pack. up what made you even think to run to do a 48 mile or 40 hour treadmill you've thing you've known me long enough to know that this thing is not connected <laughs> to anything really solid i'm or- like seriously i mean because there had to have been a moment where you thought of this idea and thought yeah that could be interesting and then you told someone and they had a response that's the way normal people would respond. Oh, yeah. And you justified it. Well, honestly, way. there was a part of me seeking out the things that my other... Because we live in Boulder, Colorado. You yeah. You rubbing elbows with Olympians and ultra-running royalty. And I kind of sought out the things no one wanted to do. Got it. You know, what people didn't want to do bad water. So they would go, bad water? It's on the roads. It's 130 degrees. You right. Know, why would... So, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Like, people are like, ah, I can't run on the treadmill. But I lost all the weight running on a treadmill. Right. You know, so like the treadmill's there. I'm like, oh, you don't want to run on the treadmill? I'm going to do it for 24 hours. And then that, so in 2015, my 10th year of sobriety, I wanted to do 10 epic events to celebrate that year. And at the very end, I didn't have a 10th event and I didn't know what to do. I'd run the Boston Marathon four times in one day. I'd done bad water. I ran 343 laps around a high school track here. And so I had no idea what to do. And I was like sitting out there on the couch and literally I thought I could run 40 hours on a treadmill. Oh, shit. <laughs> now I've got to run I was 40 mad. miles on a treadmill. <laughs> I was mad at myself for thinking that. But, you know. Oh, I love it. What you but what I was going to say, honestly, as I started moving up to the front of the pack, this great thing happened. You know, yeah. you know, people would recognize me a little bit and they'd go, so there's this expectation. Right. And... You can't run through an aid station like this when people are expecting you not to. So I would notice as like, I'm suffering, you know, you're 80 miles in, whatever, and you're coming up on an aid station. So I'd like straighten up and I start running because of the other people that instantly my body changed. I felt better. I felt better. I was running. It was, it was, it was taking less energy to run faster. So it's just more and more reinforcement that, that, that helped me go to the next level is that I wasn't letting my body break down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your body is going to break down. But it didn't mean my form had to, or at right. least I could mitigate that somehow. You know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this until you said that, but I watched a video of some guy who's like run every day for the last 60 years or something, and his form has gone to not good, let's say. And the people around him were running similarly. And when you do mm-hmm. look at people running ultra marathons, a lot of them, it looks like, yeah, yeah. they couldn't be having less of a good time. And I can imagine there is this like unconscious thing where you get the idea that that's the way it's supposed to be yes you just accept it for no reason right and then to question that i imagine is is a revelatory phenomenon the best compliment i ever got i ran across the country in 2016 with five friends who are all ultra runners we did this together for mental health awareness which is ironic but (laughs) um and i was running with all these very accomplished athletes and runners ultra runners and i don't think there's a single person who didn't mention you don't run like an ultra runner Yep. Interesting. Like, that is the best compliment I've ever got. Very interesting. Yeah. It, it is a, a fascinating thing. Another thing that I've seen people do is who, when they get into barefoot or minimalist and they have the idea, one idea they get is I'm supposed to land on my forefoot. And so what they do is they still reach out as if they're in shoes. So they're going to overstride, but then point their toes. Yep. So they land on their forefoot way in front of their body. But they also have the idea that it's supposed to be less stress. So they bend their knees a little more. So then they end up running kind of like Groucho Marx walking fast. Yeah. And they're able to do this. I mean, it works in that they're able to continue moving, yeah. but it's not running. And and uh, the first time I saw someone do that, I went, Where, how did you think to do that? They go, well, like, you're supposed to land on your forefoot. I went, yeah, but not 
Not like that. Right. That, that's a, I don't know what that is. Um, Irene Davis saw this in her lab. She had a, she set up a force plate on a treadmill and said, try and keep the force under this line. She had a, basically a monitor, you know, keep the force under this line. And she found that quite a few people would do the kind of Groucho Marx thing to try and catch the ground rather than actually use your springs the way they're supposed to be used and apply less force by absorbing that with the muscles, ligaments, and tendons that are designed for that, not by doing things like you know, right. this with your body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's like tension before punch. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a really yeah. interesting point. It's, you that's, gotta roll with a punch. You don't, yeah. You don't want to get tense in advance. You don't want to, on the one hand, you've got to, you have to be aware of it, but you also don't want to anticipate and take more than is actually being thrown at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which you see all the time. Yes. So it's like, you're ready to go when it wasn't even that hard of a punch. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that in fights. Yeah. Interesting. And interestingly, when I, when I, I made the switch, I kind of took a step back from ultra running a couple of years ago and started doing some boxing and MMA. And I would do everything in the boxing gym and the floor and in the ring barefoot. Well, I was just going to say, yeah. that, talk to me, talk about that connection. Yeah. Uh, and it is about connection between running and fighting, let's say in this case, and just the whole phenomenon of using your feet. Well, so it became, I'm really very fortunate that I've got to meet some really cool people. And my first fighting MMA lesson was with a world champion, USC, five-time USC champion, Pat Miletic. I'll give him a shout out. And, you know, they can't, they're just drilling it to me over and over again, how punching and striking starts in the feet. Mm -hmm. And it's just screwing your feet into the ground. You don't come up, you come down. And so Mm -hmm. I'm hearing footwork, footwork, footwork. I think, oh, I want my foot to be doing the work. Right. You know what I mean? I don't, these boxing shoes they have where you tie all the way up to the knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, I don't want to look like a sexy schoolgirl, you know? Like I kind of do, but not in the boxing ring. That's like a bad idea. If you so, want to, if, hold on, just to be clear. <laughs> if you want to do sexy schoolgirl, you got to really rethink the facial hair. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying get rid of it. I'm just saying it's a different kind of sexy schoolgirl. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's a good point. Good advice. Good advice. Um, but so I just started doing that. And not, you know, sparring. I, yeah. I wouldn't because people step on your feet and stuff like that. But most of my training I do barefoot, including the conditioning drills and, right. and all that kind of stuff. And it just made me feel more connected to my to, to my If my feet are doing the work. I'm and did that, did, so did that affect the way you were running as well? Were, uh, you, were you doing any running? No, I was. I was, I was yeah. still running. What I call recreational, right? You know, right. 40, 50 miles a week. <laughs> Wait, you're running. I met I met Dean Carnassus and oh, Dean, I know Dean and very yeah, well. Dean's famous for doing fifty marathons in fifty days, yeah. and he's famous most importantly actually for ordering a pizza while he was running and having them deliver it to that him while he was running, rolling it up like a burrito and eating it. Yeah. And when I met Dean, I said, "I'm the anti-Dean Carnassus." He's what do you mean? Uh, actually, it was fun. I went to introduce myself. He goes, oh, I know who you are. Um, oh, so that was cool. very sweet. That's but cool. then I said, I'm the anti-Dean Carnassus. He goes, why? I said, well, when I say I'm going to go for a fun run, I'm going to go do like 50 meter repeats. Right. And when you say I'm going to go for a fun run, it's like, I wonder where I'll be in three days. I'm going to do 50 <laughs> state repeats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a whole different world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now he's a good dude. He's, a good he's dude. a very and, interesting cat. And he introduced... The world to ultra running in a, in yeah. a real way. Yeah. In a real way, I think. Yeah. He's a very interesting cat. So if you were going to give someone, you know, I've, there are a lot of people, actually, I get a lot of emails from people who say, well, can I run barefoot or minimalist or can I run in zero shoes yeah. because I weigh fill in the blank? And usually their number is way less than where you started out. Yeah. What would you say to them? Yeah. I, I would say to trust your body. You know, we have a lot of fear isn't always correct, mm. you know, and in fact, most of the time it's not. You know, it's, it's most of the time we, 
we, we, I think we mistake fear and common sense, right? It's not, I'm not afraid to run out into traffic at right. rush hour, right? That's just common sense. Right. But I'm afraid to trust my body. I'm afraid to move. I'm afraid to do these things so I might get injured. But this machine is so powerful and so capable. Just trust it a little bit. So you evolved over all of this time, you know, millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years, whatever you want to call it. So trust that. It's going to work for you. Doesn't mean you have to like, you know, go crazy and try to do, whether you're running in shoes or not, you don't want to try to do too much too soon. So right. trust your body, keep it small. You can do it. You've been, you've been moving. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll back up for one second. People used to say to me, or people say to me now, aren't you worried about hurting your knees? You know, all that running you're doing, aren't you going to hurt your knees? I'm like, you know, you know, when my knees are in the biggest jeopardy is when I was 320 pounds standing in line for my third Big Mac. That was a lot of stress on my knees. So you're, if you're carrying around extra weight, your body's kind of grown strong right. to carry that weight around. It's funny you say that. I, I have a friend who lost a lot of weight. And one of the things she said is, I miss being strong. Yeah, because I mean, she you know she had a lot of fat mass, but she also had more muscle mass. Yeah, and she just says I miss being strong. But you can keep that that oh, yeah. muscle that's activating and moving Absolutely. you around, and it's gonna it's gonna you start activating using your running muscles and other things, and it'll it'll do you well. I mean, if I think running is like anything else, it's like the piano, it's like tennis, golf, whatever. The better you get at it, the more you're gonna enjoy it. Right. So learn to do it right. The thing I like to say about what I love about barefoot is that for me and for many people that I've heard of, it's the whole thing about minimalist or barefoot running, or more accurately, let's say it in a different way. The whole thing about running where you can actually feel the ground and get the feedback that your body is wired to receive is that if you take the time, you learn to listen to and respond to that feedback. And so your feet become a coach. Actually, Lena says this. We're not selling anything magical. We're selling shoes that become a coach for you. Yeah. If you're hearing too much noise, if you're getting too much friction, which means, you know, the sole's wearing down too quickly, all of these are, are your coach telling you what you should do next, what you should try next. Yeah. And we're so wired to listen to something external and have someone try and tell you what to do rather than feel it internally. In fact, the fastest way to change a movement pattern is to get real-time, to do two things. First, to get real-time feedback. So you're either watching in a mirror, so you can do this in a treadmill, watch a mirror if your knees are caving in, try and just point them out. Put a mirror in front of your treadmill, move your knees so they're out. Or if you're landing in some strange way, just you know, give you something so you can actually see it in real time. And then uh, after you get used to doing that, then just get rid of some of the feedback. So like put a curtain in front of the mirror for a few minutes and then just extend the amount of time that you have no feedback from the external situation so that you're starting to feel what was going on internally. Absolutely. So you just switch the external, the, let's see, the external does this while the internal does this. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the simple key to doing it because it's all about getting that information and knowing what to do with it. It's like we joked about, you can work with your coaches all the time and they'll tell you to keep your hands up, move your head. You go sparring one time, start getting punched in the face. That problem is going to take care of itself <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. You're going to get knocked out. Right. Or like, you're going to remember. Oh, to your hands oh up. you mean, oh, up. I thought you meant up. But oh, I, up. I think it's, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. I think it's interesting the way my internal definitions of things have changed and rearranged because like when I think of running now, it, it's so tied to minimal running. Like right. that's what running is to me. Running is spiritual for one. For me, and it, and it involves minimal movement, just like food. When I used to think of food, I would think of, oh, there's bad food, there's good food, there's foods I have to, you know, stay away from. Food has changed for me now. I have I have food, which is healthy, whole food, plant-based food. And then I have junk and crap that I either don't eat or it, it has a different category. Right. You know, I won't eat it or I won't think of it as food. 
And when I talk to weight loss groups, I actually say that. I say, there's no such thing as food addiction. You just have a too broad definition, <laughs> definition of food. Of food. Oh, you, you've great. allowed all these things to exist under the umbrella of food, and they're not. Do you have No think- one's addicted to broccoli and chicken breasts and... No, no. not so much. Uh, I was in Costco yesterday. They had little mini pretzels covered in dark chocolate with caramel, and I... Bought a bag. Um, it's a dopamine delivery mechanism. It's, it's not food, but it's it's, it's okay. It's yeah. It's I have good. I have like two a day. It makes me extraordinarily <laughs> happy. No, two just. Two. No, I'm not that guy. I'm someone in my. You look in my freezer. There's a thing of Ben and Jerry's ice cream that's been there for three years because it's like, been in there so long. It's just Ben yeah. before Jerry came. <laughs> it's just Ben's ice cream. It's it is it it has so much freezer burn that it's all freezer burn. Nice. Um, but it's but I just you know I'll, I I just want a taste of something every now and then because that's something very pleasant. Sure. But it's not something where I find myself mindlessly doing because I don't find that enjoyable. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll go through a phase where. For like three weeks in a row, I'll be thinking, I could really use the right piece of cake. And I never can find it. It never shows up. And then either the whole thing goes away or on week three, I go, oh, I know where to get that. And then I go have a piece of cake and I feel extremely happy. And then that's it. Whereas for me, there was no such thing as the wrong cake. <laughs> no, I got to tell you, my, here's, wait, here's my favorite cake story. When I, when I was living in New York City, I was How doing- you have? Uh, uh, at least two that I can think of. No, three actually off the top of my head. But this is my favorite. So when I was living in New York City, I was doing stand-up comedy for a living. I'd be coming home one, two, three in the morning. And I was always looking for just like a piece of chocolate cake in part because I was on my bicycle for 20, 30 miles a day, just getting around town. And I just needed calories. Right. So yes. so I was eating donuts and cake because I, mean, I just needed calories. Yes. So I finally found this one corner deli place right uh, like two blocks away from where I lived. And right by the counter, they had this, these little things of cake that were wrapped up in a uh, saran wrap and they were a dollar a piece. And I went, Oh, what the hell? I'll try one. And it was my, it was just my favorite. It was incredible. And one day they didn't have any. And I said to the guy behind the counter, you know, where's the cake? He goes, Oh, it's over there. And I went and looked and I went, I'm not seeing it. He goes, yeah, right there over there. And I, I'm looking, I go, I walk back. I said, I don't see this right there, over there. And I go looking and I don't know why he spoke with that accent. He was from New York. No, it's not true. Uh, it's a Jewish girl. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so he's pointing me over there and I'm standing there and I'm going, I don't know what you're talking about. The only thing here is a bunch of boxes of Entenmann's chocolate. Oh my God. You're cutting up an Entenmann's chocolate cake into eight pieces and rewrapping them and selling them for a dollar a piece. It's a $3 cake. And I thought I didn't like Entenmann's chocolate cake. So of course I started buying the entire cake, but the joke oh, is. Discount. But the, that's right. And the joke is it lasted longer because I didn't need that much. I needed like half that much. So it was best deal ever, which is the perfect kind of thing for a Jewish deli to find is a good deal on chocolate cake. So you can have your cake and you don't have to eat it. Eat it. Uh, yeah. I saw, I saw that you started that and it was going to peter out quickly. It's like, I don't know where this is going to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, any other any other thoughts that you want to share just about what you've uh, – uh, here's a crazy one. For someone who's who's thinking about doing an ultra – for the first time, what advice would you give them? First of all, you have to come to grips with the fact that if you're thinking about it, you've already decided to do it. So, <laughs> so surrendering, acceptance. <laughs> I've thought about it, but the thought is I don't want to do that. But so you haven't thought about doing it. You've thought about not doing it. That's correct. It. <laughs> I've thought about not. I've spent a lot of time thinking about not doing distance. Hey, why the hell not? Do it. Do I, it. Like life's too short. Like if you're thinking about it, if that sounds appealing. No, to if you, life's too short, you should be a sprinter. <laughs> I get my running done in a much shorter period of time. It's really, it's, I'm, I was. Running is life. Whether you do it for small increments of life or long increments. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. No, somebody, somebody asked me, I was interviewed for a documentary. They said, what are you going to do when you can't run? And I literally sat here like this for about 30 minutes going. 
wow, that is the most depressing thing I've ever thought of. Yeah. And actually right now I'm having some trouble because I'm having spinal issues. So I can only get a little bit in before one of my legs goes wonky because of my spine. But my, in fact, my training partner said to me today, she says, I can't believe you still come out every week. I went, I have to. Mm, I mean, I'll do as much as I can because what else would I do? Yeah. So I, mean, I really enjoy that. And the fact that it's, you know, mild tweak in my spinal cord. It's like, all right, whatever. I have kind of a different take, man. I just, I just think like, you know, I think that inevitably I won't be able to run. I'm, mm. I'm like very aware of that. So I, I enjoy it. I mean, I really take the time. Every time I go up Bear Peak, which is my favorite run here in Boulder, I touch the little marker and I go, it's not today. Nice. You know, which makes, because I just came off of a really bad injury too with my, tearing my Achilles. And it made it peaceful to get through that because I, 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 I was so present in all the times I could go up there. That it's hard to retroactively be grateful, right? Like that's true. If, if you do it in the moment, it's a lot easier. So I was like, oh, I can do other things. Like I can find happiness well, in moving my body. I can go to the gym. I can swim. Well, I can do other things. No, exactly. In fact, I have been thinking about it because there's a high probability that I'm going to have to get my spine fused at some point. Mm -hmm. And so I won't be able to run for a couple of years. And I'm thinking, yeah. what am I going to do? And I've actually started getting back into some things that I Move. really enjoy. Other kinds of movement, I've gotten back into archery, which I find <laughs> terribly entertaining because it's all about intermittent reinforcement. It works great for a moment. I could and be you, the vegan archer. You could be the, you could the be vegan, the vegan archer. I don't, um, <laughs> I have to tell you, when I go to the archery range, you would not be the only one. Uh, well, yeah, I got to tell you, no, no, actually, I go to the, I go to the range in Broomfield and I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite places to go because the range of human beings that you see in an archery range, pun intended, right. is incredible. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, goth chicks and crazy hunters and not that all hunters are crazy, but these guys are crazy and, and everything in between, you know, little kids, old people. It's, it's the most eclectic group of human beings I've ever seen in this area. Nice. And I love that. Natalie Portman and Ted Nugent. It, that, that's really what it's like. Yeah. That is really what it's like. It's so much fun. So I do think about that. I think about, I've actually, I've, there are a couple of guys that I know who are paraplegic who are wheelchair racers. And yeah. it's like, can I get in your chair? Cause that looks like that would be really fun, frankly. Right. And like, screw you. No, they're like, yeah, I'm in. No, so um, they're, they're all into it. I'm, I'm the guy who walks, if somebody's in a wheelchair and like an electric wheelchair, I'm the guy who walks up and go, how fast can I can go? So I had Gabriel Cordell, not to go off on a tangent on my podcast. He's a guy, he rolled his wheelchair across the country. Oh, no. Unmodified wheelchair. Just a regular. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. sweet. That is really crazy. outrageous. Yeah. There are a couple of times going down the Tetons where that could have been a little hairy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's a documentary on Netflix called Roll With Me. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to look it's for epic. that. Oh, that's epic. a blast. Anyway, so advice. So uh, if you're thinking about doing it, you've already decided to do it. Do it. Just, yeah. I mean, I think just do it, man. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, it's, we're so, so strong. We're so capable. It's, we just got to believe in ourselves. Like a tiny little belief can turn into something unimaginably beautiful. I'm I'm flashing back. I was at a, a talk that Tony Kropichka did about ultra running. And some guy said, um, I've run a 50-mile race and I want to run a 100-mile race. What do I need to do to train? And Tony said, nothing. Yeah. It's it's all in your head. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. That's it, man. All right. Anything else you want to leave our friends with? No, that's it, man. That was easy. You know how to find me. We are Superman on all social media, Twitter, Instagram. My website's all wearesuperman.com. It's not me. It's you. We. How sweet. So thank you for being part of the Movement Movement podcast and being part of the movement because we are creating a movement for people who understand that natural movement should be 
as obvious uh, a thing as natural food is right now. So join us at jointhemovementmovement.com where you can find links to all the other places you can find us. And if you have anything you want to share, anybody you think you should want to have on the podcast or if you want to be on the podcast, send an email to move at jointhemovementmovement.com. And as I love to say, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe and live life feet first. You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashin. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.